1: He was tired and cold when he arrived from Auschwitz. The moon hung above him, battered and beaten, as he trudged down a long concrete road with thousands of other men. The train that had carried him across Germany huffed in the night. A whistle pierced the frosty air. It was a single note strangled into silence. The huffing engine took on water as he licked his dry lips. He tried to swallow. Searchlights paced the dark as dogs strained against their leashes, their front paws wheeling the air. Guards stood along the road and yelled at the prisoners to move faster, faster. Behind him, bodies were tossed from the rail cars. They hit the pebbly ground in sickening hard thuds. Stones skittered away. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Patrick Hicks, author of In the Shadow of Dora, a story of one civilization's great failures, the murder of six million Jews and several million other people during the Holocaust, next to one of its greatest feats, the space program that sent a man to walk on the moon. This is a novel of contrasts between using science for evil and using it to explore space, Contrast between the earth and the moon, between humanity and inhumanity. There are many books written about the Holocaust. In the Shadow of Dora is a new and necessary edition that casts a light on the little understood genesis of the United States space program. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
1: So, at a time when half the population in this country is unclear about what the Holocaust was, I'm personally grateful to you for writing this book. Can you explain how you came to be interested? In the systematic murder by the Nazi regime of six million Jews and several million others.
0: Sure, um, absolutely, and uh, I just so appreciate that we were having this conversation about uh, my novel because you're absolutely right. I mean, um, uh, the past is is being forgotten, so I, I, I really value this 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 time we have. Um, I. I learned about the Holocaust at a, at a really young age. I was eight or nine or 10 years old, and there was a documentary on on PBS, which I now know was the footage of the British um, uh, burying the bodies at Bergen-Belsen, and I was just so shocked by it. You know, I'm an Irish Catholic kid that grew up in a river town in Minnesota, so I, I guess it not it's not in my background, but the more that I came to learn about the Holocaust, the more horrified I was that this is what we are capable of doing to each other. And um, ever since that first image, um, I, I've, I've just continued to do research on the Holocaust and, and do research at uh, many of the camps and i have gone to Poland and Israel and Germany. And um, it seems that this is a story that I feel compelled to tell.
1: Uh, it, it's really a heartbreaking story. I grew up, in the shadow of the Holocaust, like many in my generation, surrounded by family members who survived with numbers tattooed on their arms, your protagonist Eli Hesser reminds me of many of my relatives, who are no longer with us. Can you say more about him?
0: Absolutely. I. I. Um... I I'm really fond of him as a character and when I finished the first draft I was really sorry to say, say goodbye to him because he's just such a, a decent and, and good man. And he's really an aggregate of many of the prisoners that I of the real life prisoners at Dora Mittelbau. Uh that he started off as an aggregate but aggregate, but he turned into his own his own sort of person. And I mean it's no surprise he does survive Dora Mittelbau. I mean it's um, part of the description of the book, so you know that he survives and um, I really wanted to work with what it would be like to bear the weight of the Holocaust and start a new life again in a new country and, and just how daily life, uh, you're always in the shadow of the Holocaust, as, as you point out. And I just, I just I'm, I'm so amazed at uh, the men and women that were able to carry that heavy burden on their soul and, and move into the future with, with hope. And it's an astonishment to me. And I wanted to explore that with Ellie. Ellie.
1: Uh, You're uh, a professor of both literature and Irish literature and writing and Holocaust studies. So uh, you're the person to ask. There were 40,000 concentration camps and ghettos, and some were much larger and known for killing way more Jews than Dora Middlebaugh. So why hasn't this camp become more widely known outside of Holocaust museums, and university departments? Can you say more?
0: That's a great question, Galit. It's um, it's shrouded in, in military history, for one. I mean, it started as a secret underground concentration camp, where the Nazis forced um, prisoners to, to build these these rockets, rockets which would change the course of the 20th century. And when Dora Mittelbau was liberated by the Americans uh, in April of 1945, of course, what they found in those tunnels, these V2 rockets, the American military wanted those. So we intentionally didn't really advertise that Dora mittelbau existed. And then the Soviets took it over as, because it was in um, East Germany. And of course, they also wanted to keep it secret. And it really kind of remained that way until the fall of the Iron Curtain. And I think it's fair to say that Dora Mittelbau as a camp is something that is only beginning to enter the larger sort of consciousness of Holocaust studies, largely based upon the military secrecy that shrouded it in the first place.
1: I read that you did a lot of research um, in order to get the part um, in the concentration camp correct. Could you talk a little bit about how you did that research?
0: Sure, sure thing. Um, I'm very grateful to the granting agencies that funded me because I I went over to um, the Dora-Mittobau twice, and I got into the tunnels of dora where where the rockets were built underground. I also did some research in Berlin. Uh, but before I get on a plane, uh, to do research in the physical, you know, the physical place where these these events took place. I, I spend a lot of time doing research and, you know, I read a lot of books because I, I want to know when when I get on the ground, I want to have the historical sort of bearings on my imagination so that I know what I'm seeing. And then when I'm there, I'm just taking copious notes so that I can figure out, well, how would this look to my character? So there's the traditional type of research that you would expect an academic to do, which is, you know, in a library or reading in my office or something. But but then there's the other part of me, which is getting out into the world and and really trying to understand what these places are like physically. Um, and then I bring them together when I start writing the book itself.
1: Wow! If they managed to develop the V two rockets. Nazis, Hitler, planned to attack New York and Chicago, among other cities. So you're saying that the U.S. only learned of the program after the war ended?
0: We, we, we. I'm speaking as the, an, an American here. We knew that something like this, we knew that existed, because of course the V2 rockets were landing on London and Paris and various other cities. So, uh, and this was the highest of high technology at the time Uh, and in fact the v2 was the first object built by human hands to go into space you know it didn't orbit but it went up and it came back down so there was a very keen interest in getting uh our hands on the german scientists that developed the v2 uh, and it wasn 't for space exploration, I want to be clear about that. They wanted missiles so that they could then put you know nuclear warheads on top of these missiles and Of course, the Soviets felt exactly the same way so um so this is how the the, the two competing um, armies, even though we are allies with each other, really wanted to scoop up as many of these German scientists as possible
1: mm-hmm who made the decision to allow Nazi criminals into the U S and how did they manage? Wasn't there a huge amount of scrutiny and were they absolved of their crimes?
0: You know, they were absolved of their crimes. They absolutely should have been tried for crimes against humanity. You know, Werner von Braun, who um, was the brainchild of the Saturn V, which got us to the moon. I mean, he should have been tried for uh, crimes against humanity because um, you know, about 20,000 largely men died at Dora Mittelbau under his command and the command of others, um, like Arthur Rudolph, who was also a a German scientist that we brought over. And without those two men, it's very doubtful that we would have gotten to the moon, quite frankly. So Operation Paperclip, that was the secret code uh, that the U.S. government gave to uh, getting these German scientists to the U.S., uh, it was enacted, and uh, they, they certainly didn't go to the Nuremberg trials. They were brought instead to New Mexico, and they were tasked with making the V-2 rocket better and stronger. And that's exactly what they did. Um, its It's really hard to imagine America's space program without some of the brightest of german minds that built these rockets and of course they built these rockets with slave labor and with genocide happening all around them
1: yeah well can we okay this is a personal opinion question can we still consider the 1969 space flight as a proud achievement knowing that nazi criminals who spent the rest of their lives avoiding their pasts were seriously involved.
0: Yeah, that's one reason I wanted to write this this book, Galit, because I, I'm really taken by, you know, I wrote my first novel, The Commandant of Lubazitch, and it was just so hard for me to write that book that when it came time for me to write my second book, I said, okay, you're a space nerd. Let's, let's write about the Apollo program, because I've always been fascinated by that. Um, And the more research I did on the Apollo program, I was like, oh, but we have this dark, sinister past to it as well. And once I realized that the Holocaust and the Apollo program are linked, um, you know, the book kind of sprouted up from that. And it's not lost on me that the most horrifying part of the 20th century, and in my opinion, the greatest achievement of the 20th century landing on the moon, they're directly linked to each other. Um, and I think that rather than think of the Apollo program as um, either you know uh, you know either positive, all all positive or all negative, I think we have to stand back and go, uh, there is this dark past and we need to acknowledge it because you can you can go to uh, the Kennedy Space Center now and many of the buildings are named after some of these German scientists and there's not really any discussion about the past that's been bleached clean and I think that uh, it says much about America that we don't want to look at our greatest achievement and, and see it sullied in any way. But I, from my opinion, the, we, do, we do need to see it with total clarity. And I think we can still be proud of it and yet also um, come to understand the, the roots of the rocket program in the United States.
1: Yeah. So you teach Holocaust studies, among other things, at, um, in South Dakota, And you probably have students who never heard of the Holocaust. Um, Can you address that?
0: Absolutely. Um, I think uh, most of my students, in fact, I would hazard a guess that maybe all of my students have heard of the Holocaust, um, but their level of sophistication and understanding. Now, that's going to vary, very that's going to vary quite a bit. Um, and in fact, one of the reasons I wrote The Commandant of Lubaczew* was I was talking about Auschwitz. And I said, I'm sure you've all heard of Auschwitz. And they nodded. And I said, Well, how about raise your hand if you've heard of Treblinka? And, you know, a couple of hands went up. And I said, well, how about Sobibor? No one's hand went up. I said, well, how about Belzec? No one's hand went up. And I began to realize that maybe I could write about this. And um, it was for this reason that I, I wrote Dora Mittal about, or uh, In the Shadow of Dora, because I wanted to shine a light on this sort of unknown part of the Holocaust.
1: Ellie mentions that there were people not long after uh, the moon landing who didn't believe that John Glenn actually walked on the moon and they also didn't believe right despite the evidence that the Holocaust happened those people still exist they're like the flat earth society do you think they'll ever see truth in the past will books like yours like the shadow of Dora ever get through to that crowd I
0: I would uh, I would like to think so but I'm I guess I'm pessimistic about that as well Um, Because, yeah, there are Holocaust deniers and there are people that don't believe that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And, you know, one of those things is sort of laughable in the denial. I mean, okay, you don't believe that we landed on the moon. That's just strange. But the other one is just morally repulsive. To, to say that, no, actually that did not happen. And I'm really, I'm struck by that, that the two events of the 20th century, which were the ones that people will remember centuries from now, they're related in so far as we have deniers on both sides. And I think that the reason that we have deniers is, in, in the case of the Holocaust, we have an example of, of what uh, the worst of what we are capable of doing to each other. And in the case of landing on the moon, we have an example of, um, what we can achieve when we work together and and we, you have this polarity of the human experience and i i think there are people that just don't want to deny that we can be that evil and that we can be that ingenious in and 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 really good when we work towards a common goal and and maybe 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 there's something there with you know maybe that's where denial comes from it's like this aspect of humanity we don't want to you know th- think about or consider maybe
1: mm. There's a very beautiful passage in which Ellie considers the moon its relationship to earth and the words it's associated with like honeymoon and lunacy. Can you say more about his thoughts, which might just also be your thoughts?
0: <laughs> I th- I think you've maybe uh, cracked the nut there. I think maybe that's more <laughs> me than Ellie, but I I'm really pleased that you brought up that passage because um, when I wrote when I wrote that, I, I I liked it. I liked the idea of him looking at the moon and seeing it from all of these sort of different perspectives that cut across mythology. Um, you know, I, I live in South Dakota, and my my neighbors, the the Lakota, you know, who are sometimes you know falsely called the Sioux, but the Lakota Indians, you know, they look at the moon and they, they call it the night sun. And I think what a beautiful way to you know look at something and just calling it the night sun. I see it differently because of how the Lakota viewed it view it. And I just got to thinking about especially that, that idea that um, the moon is where everything that's lost can be found. There's that old sort of wives' tale, and it's just dust and silence. And it just seemed like, you know, uh, his heart was sort of yearned for that, especially after losing his whole family in the Holocaust, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: When the CIA agents talked to, to, to Ellie, they asked if he was with communists at Auschwitz and, and Dora Mittelbau. But it's 1969, well after McCarthy was condemned for witch hunting of that kind. So what's going on there?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, You know, because I had to do a lot of research on the Holocaust, but the other side of that coin is I had to do a massive amount of uh, research on the Apollo program. Now, I knew quite a bit already, but I really needed to do quite a big deep dive. And it was only when I started to do that that I realized that the men and women that worked at the Kennedy Space Center in the sixties, they saw themselves as being on the front line of the Cold War, which they were, you know, quite frankly. And there was a con you know, they were trying to beat the Soviets to the moon. And there was there was worry that, you know, maybe sabotage could happen. Um, and and there really were the um, Apollo it's called APIP, the Apollo personnel investigation program. They would actually try to find people that might be potentially sympathetic to communists or communists themselves, or maybe they would have gambling problems and they could be leveraged, you know, to, to spill secrets. So it was this whole sort of area of subterfuge in, in the Apollo program that I, I just quite frankly didn't know anything about, but I liked the, the trial scene that Eli kind of has there because they, they, um, they don't really believe him and his experiences at Dora Mittelbau. And it feels like he's on trial really for being at Dora
1: mm Hmm. That was shocking. Yeah. Um, can we go back to we haven't spoken a lot about the while he is at Dora Middlebrow. How did you research the period de- details? Like, for example, what the prisoners were given to eat or the work he was given to do in the in the in the V two facility.
0: Oh, right. Um there is an extraordinary history of uh, Dora. It's called The History of the Dora Camp by André Selyes. And I'm probably not pronouncing his name properly. But he was a survivor of Dora. Um, and he later became a history professor. And he wrote, boy, it's about a 400-page book. And it's not a memoir. He he writes about the history of Dora Mittelbau. And that book was Invaluable to me. I mean, I'd, I doubt that I could probably have written in the Shadow of Dora without that firsthand uh, account that, written by an academic, so that you know he would try to preserve the history of this camp, which was shrouded in secrecy.
1: Hmm. So, what was what did you learn? What, you couldn't fit it all into that this one novel?
0: No, no, I couldn't. Um, And I knew that, you know, Eli is just one prisoner out of, you know, tens of thousands. So dotted throughout uh, Dora, in the shadow of Dora, I have these sort of chapters where I kind of feel like we're panning back. And a different voice sort of steps in, and they, uh, and this voice sort of explains the V two program or the sort of um, architecture of the camp, and and I did that intentionally because I knew the reader needed to see the totality of the camp, but there is no way that one character could see that. I mean, because he's just in the barracks or he's you know soldering parts together for his rocket. So that's one of the reasons that I I made that sort of craft decision where um, I tried to help the reader understand what the camp was like, including going into detail about, you know, why they got the crematoria in the first place. And, um, and it really shocked me. And I didn't realize this about Dora. But when Auschwitz was liberated on January 27, 1945, by the Soviets, uh, many of the SS personnel that were at Auschwitz, they got sent to Dora. And Dora, is Auschwitz was allowed to continue on in spirits at Dora Mittelbau. In fact, many of the prisoners that were on the death march ended up at Dora. So we don't think of Dora Mittelbau as sort of this um, this continuation of Auschwitz, but there is an argument to be made that it, it was.
1: Yeah. What What's there right now when I visited, uh, never again, but when I visited Auschwitz, it was very disturbing that people were picnicking, they were selling sandwiches they wanted to charge money to use the restroom. I said, no. <laughs> Tell, Have you been, is it still in existence? Is it, has it been preserved?
0: Dora? Yes. The answer is yes and no. Um, when, Uh, the United States, when we had to give over Dora because it was in uh, East Germany and the Soviets took over, the Soviets demolished the camp because uh, homelessness was such a huge problem in the nearby city of Nordhausen. (laughs) And that's because the Americans and the British basically leveled Nordhausen. So the the Soviets needed the, the barracks. So all of that got torn down. So if you were to go to Dora Mithubau, there's not a whole lot to be seen, but there are the tunnels. You can get into a section of the tunnels. And um, I spent several days at Dora Mithubau, and I discovered that if I went into the woods, um, I, I found foundations of, of buildings that, um, that were still there. you know, And, and that was sort of eerie and calm at the same time because they're just in the middle of like this forest and it's just me. And, you know, the ruins of, um, you know, maybe what was left of the camp hospital, which was not a hospital in any way, shape or form. It was where they took them to die.
1: Mm-hmm. In your previous novel, The Commandant of Ubisek," you discussed Operation Reinhardt, the codename for the planned extermination of Polish jewelry I'm wondering if there's another Holocaust-centered book in your future. In the Shadow of Dora was published in 2020. So what's happening now in 2022?
0: You know, shortly before um, I I hopped on to do the interview here, I'm, I'm working on my next novel. And I, I don't want to say the title because the title might change, but it's uh, it takes place in, in Ravensbrück, which was the only all-female camp, a uh, female concentration camp in the Third Reich. And I... I've looked at history and the Commandant of Lubazec. I've looked at the role of technology and the morality of technology and the Holocaust within the shadow of Dora. And now I want to look at um, the role of gender because um, it seems to me that when we think of the Holocaust, it's not exclusively but largely through a masculine sort of gaze, either through the SS or or the the, the male survivors. And I I wanted to enter this, this female space of Ravensbrück and, and maybe try to figure out how the women in the camp operated differently from how men tended to survive in in some of their camps. So that's what I'm working on right now.
1: It sounds fascinating, and I will look forward to it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Patrick. It's been a pleasure.
0: I've really enjoyed our conversation, Galit. Thank you so much.
1: And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Patrick Hicks about his novel, In the Shadow of Dora. Thanks for listening, and may you always be immersed in a juicy novel.